Today on the 1012 Podcast, Marshall Scott of Pistols Firing Blog joins us to recap week four in the Big 12, including 0-4 for the newcomers. Kansas and Kansas State might be our final hope. What's going on with Oklahoma State's NIL collective? Baylor is down bad. The actual sicko game of the week for week four and the games we're most looking forward to this coming Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. We've got a little bit of a different show today. Unfortunately, our good friends Andy and JSJ, Jamie Sire Johnson, could not join us today. Both had uh, other things going on. So we've got a fill-in. I'm very excited to have here joining us on the show today. He is Marshall Scott. He is the owner of Pistols Firing Blog, uh, one of the best original school-focused sites for the Big 12. Marshall, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. I have been, a as an Oklahoma State fan, aside from my Big 12 fandom. Been a long-time reader, uh, back to the, the early days. Uh, so it's very good to have your show today, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, your support, and I appreciate you uh, offering this up to me. This seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll get to some Oklahoma State. It's not like OSU's got, you know, uh, is interesting or anything or worth having to spend some time on today. <laughs> so uh, your insight will be invaluable. Let's just start with the weekend kind of as a whole. Uh, number one, congratulations. All four newcomers have now officially played their first game as a Big 12 conference member, a first conference game, and they're all 0-4. So let's all be worried and say this was terrible. These were the worst schools to bring on. They were not prepared. They're all going to have terrible seasons. They're no good. The Big 12 made, I'm kidding. Obviously, this is not shocking that they all started 0-4. And it's not like any of them got a cakewalk, right? So like TCU beat Houston soundly. UCF was in a fairly competitive game with Kansas State until the second half. Uh, BYU, similarly, competitive game with Kansas until the second half. And Cincinnati played Oklahoma at home. Um, I guess you could call it competitive when they went up 3-0, and then Oklahoma uh, took over on offense. Marshall, the the newcomers are 0-4 to start things off. I I don't really know that I have any other takeaway from this other than, like, welcome to the Big 12. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was just based on some of the matchups somewhat expected um you, you know UCF's probably the best of the bunch so far and, and they get the defending big pro champion Kansas State um OU's obviously looked a lot better this year um Cincinnati gets that rough draw um BYU and Kansas that that you know a couple of years ago would have been you know all BYU but Kansas is obviously taking a lot of steps forward so uh yeah I don't think any alarm bell should be ringing quite yet um but but you know, definitely a, a welcome to the Power Five type of moment 
in that you know game by game the the competition level is going to be you know drastically up from from the American conference. Yeah, that's that's it's again, it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Uh, I I meant to do this beforehand, but you know you can come up with ideas and you go to look on them on your phone. And then one of the three children needs something, and then the next of the three children needs something, and then the next of the three children needs something. And I was trying to find out when, uh, how long it took TCU and West Virginia to win their first game of their first season of the Big Twelve. Let's see. Ooh, I'm gonna do a little. We're just we're just gonna do this live on the air because we'll do it live. Something we'll do it. We'll do it live. Uh, Let's see. For TCU, I do have notes. It was it was game two. They lost to Iowa State. In their, nope, just kidding. They played Kansas in week two and won. Well, you know, that was Kansas in 2012. That's not, that's not super surprising. Uh, let's see. For West Virginia, it was? Game one. Game one. Well, this didn't work at all. <laughs> this did not. Uh, Maybe the alarm bells do need to start ringing. <laughs> this, this completely and totally backfired. We should be very concerned about the four newcomers and the fact that they are 0-4 to start things off. Uh We'll see how this goes moving forward again. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just think it's interesting to note that not one of them has won a game so far. If you're a fan of one of those four, like don't take this as an insult. Like it's just, it's a thing. It's a fact. It's fine. Looking at the conference now, just as a whole, now that everyone has played one conference game, everyone's got four games under their belt. Everyone's got a conference game. Marshall, do you think it's fair to kind of start putting a dividing line between the top half of the conference, the bottom half of the conference and feeling pretty comfortable with that. Or do you think we need to tear this out a little bit more into like three or four tiers? Yeah, I think I'm not sure I'm ready. I think there's almost unfortunately for the big 12, because Texas and OU are leaving. I think right now it's kind of Texas and OU and then a big clump of schools. And then at the bottom there's, you know, unfortunately for us both being Oklahoma state guys, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, um, West Virginia is looking good. So, so West Virginia's not even down there. Uh, maybe Baylor's down there as well, which in 2021, if you would have said Oklahoma State and Baylor are hanging out at the bottom of the conference, I'm not sure anybody would have believed that. So, um, I, I think that there is, I, I think there is maybe a, a pretty clear dividing line, but I think that Texas and OU at this point, unfortunately for the conference, are, are pretty far ahead of, of the rest of the pack. I would almost go so far as to say Texas is in a tier of their own. Yeah. Like, Oklahoma's look good. Um, Texas' defense has been ridiculous. I've got some notes here in a bit when we get to it. Oklahoma, I think I think Oklahoma is good. Um, I think Kansas and Kansas State are closer to Oklahoma than maybe we want to give them credit for because of how Oklahoma's looked in their 4-0 start. I think Kansas and Kansas State have played better schedules up to this point than Oklahoma has. Now, again, we've done the opponent-adjusted stuff with Oklahoma. Like This is not a takeaway from Oklahoma. Like This is a good team. They have done things against subpar competition that you want to see a good team do against subpar competition. But I would, I would put Kansas and Kansas state closer to Oklahoma at this point. I think there's a big mess in the middle. I'm like West Virginia's three and one. Yeah. I it's, it's incredible. I'm not sure that they're necessarily good. I think they're better than they, we thought they would be. I also think Pitt's worse than we thought. And I think Texas tech is an absolute mess and, and lost to a player. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But like, I'm not going to go so far as to say like West Virginia is good. It's not a shot at West Virginia like a three and one. Awesome. Like the schedule now sets up. You you could get to a bowl game the way it does. We could do schedule talk here in a second. But like I do think it's there's Texas. There's a 
group of three, maybe four teams. If we want to add a fourth one in there, then there's a big mess in the middle and there's a bottom of a conference that is, I, I almost think the bottom of the big 12 this year is the worst it's been in a while. And that's really disappointing after how good this conference was top to bottom last year. And, and frankly, the year before that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of comes at a weird time where Texas as of, you know, recent history has been, you know, overhyped talent to a point. And this kind of feels like the year that they're they're like Texas is getting it together. And now the rest of the Big 12 um, looks a little suspect. Um, so it, it's not only just that, that Texas does seem to, you know, quote unquote, be back uh, for the time being, uh, but the rest of the league kind of is figuring things out, I guess you could say. Definitely on the bottom portion of the uh, up cycle, as we've noticed the conference needs to be on. So let's kind of break this down game by game a little bit here. Uh, let's start in in Morgantown. We talked about West Virginia a little bit. Y'all, we picked the wrong game for sicko game of the week this week. It was not Oklahoma State, Iowa State like we thought it would be. It was this one, Texas Tech at West Virginia. Again, I- I'm I'm giving West Virginia credit for being three and one, and it's weird to me that they're three and one and Texas Tech is one and three. We got to lead off with this. Of course, Tyler Shuck left the game with uh, an injury. Uh, he's going to require surgery. He's probably out for the year. Texas Tech. I, I'm I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say I can't entirely confirm it. Texas Tech has, A, not made it through a season with its starting quarterback healthy since Patrick Mahomes last season. B, I'm like 90% sure they've not only lost their starting quarterback, but like lost their starting quarterback for the year at some point every season since Patrick Mahomes last season. Like, I understand quarterbacks get hurt. It's football. Injuries happen. I don't think anyone in the country has had worse quarterback injury luck than the Texas Tech Red Raiders ever since Patrick Mahomes left after 2017. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tech, it's, tech is just weird this year um, and, and kind of going on to the, to the weirdness you brought up with, with that stat. But, you know, Tech competes with Oregon, but, you know, you know, we just saw Oregon blast Colorado. Tech competes with Oregon. And then, but ultimately, the only team they've beaten this year is Tarleton State. You know, and even in this game uh, against West Virginia, Tech wins the turnover battle, rushes for more yards, and loses to a team that was picked bottom of the conference. So uh, things are just weird in Lubbock right now, I think. I mean, things are always weird in Lubbock. Yeah. It's, it's not just they're 1-3. As you mentioned, they're 1-3 without a win over an FBS opponent. Their average margin of defeat in these three losses is, is less than six points. Like, it's, it is, it's almost excruciating at this point that they're not just 1-3, but, I mean... There's no reason Texas Tech shouldn't be 4-0. I mean, like, to lose the way you did at Wyoming, to lose the way you did against Oregon, frankly, to lose the way you did against West Virginia, Texas Tech probably should have been able to tie that game up. And credit to West Virginia's defense for getting the stop. I mean, there was a couple of those passes that the pass to Tharp on what I think was second or third down that was an incredible play by the defender to get there and break that pass up. Then you had the other one that was just a little high. By by Baron Morton, just a little high. Probably should have been caught. Could have been the touchdown to tie things up as well there. I'll say this. Texas Tech fans are not fans of Zach Kitley at the moment. I mean, for three quarters, your game plan is air raid offense. It does not work. Fourth quarter, you finally start to run the ball. You are running the ball very, very effectively. I mean, that's the whole reason Texas Tech was able to come back and be in that spot in the closing seconds for a chance to tie the game up. And then you have four shots at the end zone from the 11. Here, and what I said was this. You're sitting on the 11-yard line. You've got two timeouts. You've got more than 30 seconds left on the game clock. You can get a first down at the one. 
and you take four straight shots at the end zone. And again, one was a great defense to play to break up what should have been the, the game time touchdown. One was a pass that was just a little bit high. You didn't run the ball. That's the reason you even were back to be in a situation to tie this game. And you went, nah, we're taking it out of the running back's hands. Baron Morton, we want you to throw four straight passes. And I'm just, I mean, it's one of those things where hindsight's, you know, 2020, but I can understand why Texas Tech fans aren't thrilled with Zach Kitley and the offense through the first four games of the season so far. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick look at the box score, it's pretty obvious who Tech should have got the ball to with Taj Brooks, 25 carries, 149 yards. That's that's six yards a carry. Um, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned Tyler Shuck getting hurt. So you've got Baron Morton, who Mike Gundy spoke pretty highly of last season. So, you know, maybe with, you know, work at reps as QB1 in, in the upcoming weeks, he can kind of, you know, show his potential a little bit. But, but yeah, it, it, if if that is, you know, you, you've got this running back that's playing well, you're using your backup quarterback. It, it's maybe it seems too simple to just kind of give them the ball. Yeah. Um, as for West Virginia, like I said, three and one, that's incredible. Like you lost the game you're supposed to lose. And now you've won three in a row. Like this is great. The schedule the next few weeks sets up pretty well for West Virginia. It's at TCU at Houston, then Oklahoma state at home. Like the idea of West Virginia sitting here five and two through seven weeks is very, very much in play. I know the last five games of the season aren't going to be easy with that UCF, BYU, at Oklahoma, Cincinnati, at Baylor. But if West West Virginia bowl game is very much in play here. So I hope you didn't put any money on the under for West Virginia because like West Virginia bowl season, Neil Brown saving his job coming back to Morgantown for another year. Like it's not just in play, like unless something crazy happens, like I almost think that that could very much happen because they've got enough games against teams who have not been good and are sitting at the, I would consider the bottom of the conference, Houston, OSU, Cincinnati, Baylor, like bowl seasons, a very big possibility here. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is great considering this team was picked last. I do wonder still if it's enough to save things for Neil Brown, just because, you know, that, that six win area is kind of where he's hung out in, you know, um, in 2019 goes five and seven. Go six and four, goes six and seven, goes five and seven. So it, it's kind of just like, do you, does he get the credit for, you know, taking a team that was picked last and, and, you know, having them not finish last, having them make a bowl game? Or is it, you know, or are West Virginia fans just going to be, oh, this is kind of the same old, same old. We're kind of in the same spot that, that, you know, you know, everything's kind of been. But yeah, as you mentioned, with that schedule, they, they should beat Houston. They should beat Oklahoma State. Um, and then to get bowl eligibility, you need, you know, one win from your last one, two, three, four, five games, uh, which seems very doable, especially with, you know, Baylor being that, that last game Who really knows what, what's up with the bears right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's awesome. Neil Brown seems like a great dude. Um, so, so that's, that's awesome for him. Uh, it, it just kind of seems like if they do finish around that six win mark, it's going to be kind of more of the same. And I wonder if that is enough. I, I, I don't know. I'm not hanging out on, on, you know, West Virginia forms or anything like that but um <laughs> I, it just kind of I, I wonder if that's enough for, for the, the mountain you're faithful to kind of get behind it again uh, I'll, I'll use the word to, to to explain why five or six wins is probably gonna keep him his keep his job uh buyout yeah uh, buyout yep. is the and let's just remind everybody there's a lot going on at west virginia outside of the athletic department that would make that a difficult place to try and make a, a football coaching hire right now uh let's move on down to you mentioned it off the top. If anyone had told you back in 2021 that Baylor and Oklahoma State might be two the two worst teams, <coughs> Houston, in the Big 12 in the 2023 season, that would be a surprising thing. Baylor 
Um, we're gonna get the Texas side of this in a second. Y'all, Baylor's bad, like bad, bad. Like I, I, I understand that that Shapen's not playing and the backups aren't great. I don't think they're shaping away from winning this game or being more competitive or Baylor suddenly looking better. Like they in this game were down twenty eight to three in the first half. Texas takes a punt, fumbles it. Baylor recovers at the Texas 21. I know it was fourth and eight. I understand that, but it's fourth and eight. You're down 28 to three, which is a score that don't tell anybody around Atlanta. And you went ahead and went for the field goal to make it 28 to six. And you didn't score again. Um, I just... You take that and and some of the decision-making it felt like in this game. Some of the kind of surrender plays. Then you take some of the comments that Dave Aranda, who I have been like very, very high on for some time. Some of the comments he made after the game, like Dave Aranda said he still believes this Baylor roster is Big 12 championship caliber. Um, I, I, like, I like Aranda. Some of it feels a little bit like the things you have to say as opposed to coming out and saying like, y'all, we suck. But for a guy who's I have respected because of his kind of brutal honesty about things, either he doesn't understand what's wrong, or he's just kind of doing the coaching thing. It is it does not it does not feel good in Waco right now, like at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think kind of the stat that that antithesizes that game is is Richard Reese and Dominic Richardson combined for nine carries and twelve rushing yards. And I know that Texas has all the athletes. Texas defense, as you mentioned at, at the top. Um, is playing outstanding football, um, but you know the, the, those two guys would be who you would consider, you know, Baylor's backs coming into the year, um, and to get nine carries and twelve yards out of those two, that's 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 not going to do it. I don't know if that's an indictment on the offensive line. I don't know if that's an indictment on those two, but uh, yeah, that's a it's a rough spot to be in. And, and like I said, just imagining the falls that that Baylor and, and Oklahoma State have had over the the past two years is is somewhat remarkable. Yeah, 31 carries for 60 yards. Now, granted, the uh, Sora Robertson sacks and lost yardage is in there, but still, just like, um, like I, I, I never thought coming into the season, and it's still wild to me to even try and come up with the idea of like a man who coached a team to a Big 12 championship game two years ago might legitimately have his job on the line right now if things just keep getting worse. Like, I, I, I still would feel a little bit surprised to see a move like that made, but it's not good in Waco. Long, a lot of season left to go. We'll see kind of how that goes. All right, Texas. Um, <laughs> uh, like I said, Baylor, they made six trips to the Texas red zone on Saturday night. They played 23 plays when they were in the red zone. They gained 30 yards, kicked two field goals, took two sacks, and threw a pick. Y'all, Texas defense, we talked about it. This is, this is, they are good. They are so good. Texas currently ranks second nationally in red zone defense. It's not just the defensive line is good. It's when you put their backs up against the wall in the red zone, good luck scoring. Um, the defense has been phenomenal. Just just absolutely fantastic. It, it has The offense has been good, um, inconsistent, very, very explosive, inefficient. But that defense is so good right now, it, it like it's fine. The, if the offense has one good 14, 17-point quarter, the Texas is probably going to win because they're going to put up enough points the rest of the game. 
Like you looked in this one and I was like, surely they're going to put up a ton of more points and they didn't score in the fourth quarter, but they didn't have to. They just sat back on their defense and said, yeah, Baylor, you want to, you want to win this game. Like our offense is going to be generic and we're going to make you beat us. The Texas defense has been phenomenal through the first four games of the season. And Texas is going to face some better offenses in this conference. They'll, They'll do it next week against Kansas, but it's the best defense in the big 12. It's one of the best defenses in the country. Like, Top five at worst. I'm not. Uh, if you want to say one, I'm. I'm probably going to sit here and argue with you. Um, statistically, like it's it's right about there. It's dang good. It is finally. This is a Texas defense finally living up to like preseason expectations. In fact, I would say it's been better than advertised heading into the year so far through four games. Yeah, I've I've was very much going into this year a I'll believe it when I see it with Texas because we've heard that they, you know, the Longhorns have been back for so long. Um, but this this definitely seems a little different than it has in years past, and that's I think I reserve you know my right to you know if, if everything changes you, they, they've got two games coming up that uh, historically have as of late have been kind of coin flips with Kansas coming uh, to town, um, and then obviously Oklahoma um, at the Cotton Bowl. So I think those are two huge games uh, for the Longhorns. Um, but then after that, it seems like they could really get rolling. Um, the really you know toughest test past the next their next two games is Kansas State um, at the beginning of November so uh, it, it does seem like Texas is actually a real deal this year um, definitely could have said that in the Alabama game um, can say that even more now you know losing the turnover battle against Baylor but still only giving up six points kind of like you mentioned if they if that defense gets their backs up against the wall they're going to find a way to, to, to get squirm out of it so again I'm not saying Texas is going to run the table uh, they they will have a Texas hiccup this offense still has enough inconsistency and inefficiency to to have a game where another offense kind of figures them out and, and puts up points on them. But the idea of, I mean, I had people, I think last week being like, no, Texas is still going to lose like two or three games. I'm like, I, I show me what they are. Tell me, play that out for me. Like, I, I please, like it's going to be this team, this team, and this team. don't just be like, they're going to lose three games. What three games? Like we're past the whole, like they're going to lose three games. They always lose some, yada, yada. We're past that. We've seen them now through four games in this season. And if you want to say, well, they played Rice and Wyoming and a bad Baylor team, and it's not Alabama of old, like, like what, like, what are they, what are they, what are they going to sit here at 10 and 0 and you're still going to be like, they're going to lose three games. They're just, they are, they're going to find a way. Like at some point, we all just got to kind of prepare for the inevitable. Like Texas is the best team in the big 12. This is a really, really good team. They have flaws. I'm not saying they don't. It's a really good team. Um, okay. Oklahoma and Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati's defense is good. The, the, they have scored fewer and fewer points every week of this season so far. Like I, I I was willing to give them credit for blowing out Eastern Kentucky. I was going to give them credit for beating Pitt and putting up 27 points, but they've scored 66, then 27, then 24, now six. This is starting to look like the Cincinnati team I thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. They fooled me a little with Eastern Kentucky and Pitt, which turns out Pitt isn't good. At this point now, it's a good defense. This is a good defensive team. That defensive line is really good. It it gave Oklahoma some trouble. And it's an offense that's um, not awesome. That's just just not. Um, This is the Cincinnati team I thought we'd see. Uh, I think they're going to struggle moving forward in the schedule. I think they're going to have opportunities for wins. They get Baylor at home. They got to go to OSU. They go to Houston. Like they've got opportunities for some wins, but like I'm back on my Cincinnati's probably not very good. They're not going to go bowling. It's going to be a year one where just welcome to the Big 12. 
yeah, I, I kind of thought this game was closer than maybe the score indicated. Um, you know, OU takes a 10-3 lead, and two things happen. Cincinnati throws a pick in the OU end zone, and Cincinnati misses a field goal. Um, you, you just kind of wonder how different things could be had, A, they not thrown a pick there, and, and even if they have to settle for a field goal, and then, B, they make that second field goal. So I, I think those are kind of the two moments where, you know, in in a group of five conference, you can kind of get away with that kind of stuff. Um, in the Big 12, you know, points are at a premium, and you just can't make kind of those types of errors in games. So, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see where that game plays out. Had it been a little different, um, kind of on the Oklahoma side of things, Oklahoma's looked a li- looked mortal against SMU and Cincinnati. You know, their two best, their two biggest competitions this year. Um, and, and then obviously in their other games, they're just, you know, boat race team. So I, I, I was, I guess, impressed with Cincinnati's defense to be able to, to, to keep the Bearcats in it. But yeah, the, those, those kind of costly mistakes. Um, Cincinnati's just not ready and, and can't, they don't have that margin for error to, to steal something from Mike Gunn to do this back again. It got a bit better in, later in the game, but Oklahoma on first down wasn't awesome. Especially early on, like at one at one point, they'd had second downs of 14, 10, 10, 10, 10, 9, and 11. Like they, they're a little bit kind of like Texas to some extent of like they can be explosive. I still think they're a little inefficient. And again, I want to get full check. I, I, part of me thinks this is just credit due to Cincinnati's defensive line because it is, it is good. Like it is a good defensive line in the big 12. Oklahoma is going to lose games. Oklahoma has flaws. Your points on how they looked a little bit more human against Cincinnati and SMU, I think is fair. Um, Some of the offensive play calling like has been a little bit weird too. I'm still not sure everything is, you know, peachy keen there and Norman with everybody and and noting some off season off field stuff. Like I still feel like Oklahoma is probably the second best team in the big 12 right now. They're going to lose some games. Like your hope at this point to me is Oklahoma ends up losing a tiebreaker to somebody else to avoid Arlington. I, 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 since we're talking Texas and Oklahoma, let's just have that conversation, Marshall. Cause I think this is every time I have a guest on, I want to, I want to ask him like Texas is going to Arlington. Like I don't, I don't yeah. if, if someone thinks they're not like show two teams that are better than Texas right now in the big 12. Um, Oklahoma has played well enough through four games and still has a schedule that includes Iowa State at home, Oklahoma State on the road, West Virginia at home. Like, where I go, find me three losses because I think that's the only way they're not going to make it to Arlington unless it's a two-loss team versus another two-loss team that they happen to lose to. Um, And I don't know who that is because my best guesses would be Kansas State. Maybe it's Kansas. We'll see. like, is it Oklahoma? Do we just need to prepare for the, the nightmare scenario of Texas, Oklahoma, and Arlington in December? Or who do you see as a potential actual savior to prevent that scenario from happening? Yeah, I think it feels weird to put hopes in, in KU football. Um, but but that, that's, you know, OU has to go to Kansas. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, they get UCF, which if they play UCF on the road, things could get a little weird. The balance house could be a little weird. But, you know, they get them in Norman. Uh, so I don't necessarily see them losing that, you know, maybe you go to BYU time zone, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think TCU has been better than I thought they would be, especially after week one. Um, you know, just 
with all the guys that they lost off last season's team, um, then they, you know, they start the year with a loss. I, I think I personally kind of wrote TCU off, um, but I think they are better than, than what I thought after, after that week one loss. So um, yeah, I think if, if you're a big 12 truther, your hopes are in, in that um, October 28th game at Kansas and, and in that season finale uh, in Norman against TCU. But yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a very real reality um, of Texas and OU playing for a, a Big 12 championship trophy that they're going to take to the SEC. It is, it remains an absolute uh, disappointment and travesty that Oklahoma does not play Kansas State this season. I don't understand how that game was not put on the schedule. I don't understand why OU was allowed to avoid Kansas State. If you look at S&P Plus rankings right now, for the most part, the preseason stuff's just about wiped out of them that by through once you get through week four. Texas is number seven, Oklahoma's number eight. Next closest in the Big Twelve is Kansas State at nineteen. Like it does feel a little bit like, oh no, they lost to Missouri on the road. I'm like, yeah, they lost to Tulane last year. I'm not saying they're as good as last year, but like Kansas State's gonna lose games. It doesn't mean that they can't be good enough to get back to Arlington. That's why I think a lot of people had them pick number two in the preseason or three. I had them two. Um I do think it's between Kansas State and Kansas, and at this point, Kansas State's just got to end up with a better record because they won't have a tiebreaker scenario to play off, and and Kansas on the road. It is an interesting three-week stretch of Texas and Red River. I don't know, because they get a week off before they play UCF and then at Kansas. So, I mean, who gave – again, I want to know what dirt Joe Castiglione had on the Big 12 office to get the schedule that they got because it is just, it's absolutely a gift and atrocious that Oklahoma got the schedule. I don't, I don't understand. One thing that is not a, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You just kind of like looking down the schedule at this point, you know, Texas really does seem like the only game that, you know, they should lose. Um, You can maybe point to that Kansas game, but yeah, that is a, that is a Charmin soft looking schedule. Got, got a, got a circles Kansas on the road. UCF fans are going to want to say UCF. That's yeah. fine. Um, yeah. And then BYU on the road in November. Like, come on, Cougs. Uh, let's see if they can if they can pull it off. Uh, like I said, one thing that is not a disappointment or a travesty or a tragedy is Charlie Hustle. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. They love the Big 12. It's why they have 13 of the current 14 Big 12 schools and are going to be working, and they've got one of the future ones, Colorado, and they'll be working on the rest of them. They're doing it. They put out incredible vintage college sports apparel. If you're an Oklahoma fan, a Texas fan, OSU fan, maybe you're a Baylor fan who needs to feel better, Charlie Hustle's got you. An Oklahoma State fan who needs to pick me up, Charlie Hustle's got you. They have some incredible stuff. And I want you to make sure that you're paying attention to our 1012 network shows uh, because the giveaways with Charlie Hustle are going to start this week. It's all going to be focused around games on the Big 12 slate each week. So make sure you're following every 1012 network podcast on social media, Twitter, everyone's there, Instagram, if they have it, uh, so that you can be entered in to win. That's all I'm going to say. We'll have stuff on our Twitter account at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. So if you say you enter the giveaway, don't win, that's okay. You can still use the promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, for 15% off any non-sale items. I didn't say first purchase. I said non-sale items. That means if you want to buy yourself something now to 
pick me up or to celebrate your team's big victory, you love the thing that you bought and you want to buy some for friends and family for the holidays, remember that promo code 10-12-15-T-E-N-1-2-1-5 for 15% off all non-sale items. With more than 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at charliehustle.com. Use that promo code, Charlie Hustle Vintage Made Fresh. All right, we uh, we saw the game between two of the teams that we hope are the saviors for the Big 12. Oklahoma and Texas, please understand, like, okay, I, I want to back up for a second because I need to talk about one thing with Texas. Um, Texas fans are getting real weird on Twitter. I know it's been a long time since Texas has been good, but, like, I saw a Texas fan getting mad because Baylor fans were throwing the horns down and, and yelling Baylor chants at the end of the game when Texas was trying to play their school song in Waco. Like, what are we, what are you guys doing? Like, what is with all this complaining about the way the Big 12 is tweeting us? It's not nice. It's so mean. They're so cruel to us. We're the best team in the conference and they should be kind to us. Like, y'all are leaving. You don't even want to be here. You're going to go to the SEC where they're going to be, frankly, even more mean to you than we are. Because we still have like a little bit of like, you know, you've been in this conference for a long time. We're mad you're leaving. We don't like you. And you've been bragging about, I don't know recruiting wins and budget for the last decade because you haven't actually wins on the field. And the one you finally have a good season on the field and y'all are just acting a little bit, a little bit babies. Not all of you, but there's enough of you where it's like, what, what did, did you forget how to act when you're actually winning? Like it's a little bit charm and soft right now, guys. Yeah, it kind of seems like a continuation of, of the horns down, you know, uh, of that, of a, you know, a big deal getting made out of the horns down thing. But it's it's a lot like, you know, you're in a relationship and you find out your significant other's you know, sleeping around on you and then, but you still have to finish out this lease or something like that. So, you know, you're still living together because you don't have any other options. So like, no, I'm not going to be nice to you during that time. I'm not going to particularly enjoy your company. Um, but let's just finish this lease out and, you know, you're going to take a hardware with you. So I- enjoy that, but let's, let's just move on. Like you can't believe I changed the Netflix password. I'm not going to share it with you anymore. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, one other thing. Okay, we're going to talk about Kansas and, and BYU here for a second. BYU fans. Lance Leipold made a comment this week, and a lot of you got bent out of shape because he said that the, the roster at, K, at BYU is about you know 22 years old on average. Um, the average age of the roster at BYU is 21.7 years old. He was not being mean. He really wasn't even off base. Uh, while there is no way to confirm this without going roster by roster and checking, I can promise you that... 21.7 years old as an average age of your roster is one of the oldest rosters in college football. I'm going to go ahead and put myself out there and make that claim. It is not a slight to say BYU is an older and more mature team. It's not a slight. It's not an insult. It's not a trope. It's not to take away from your victories. It's just a fact. Y'all, Leipold did not say that as some insult or shot at BYU. I don't know why you guys get so bent out of shape. Everyone times like, you're, they're an older and more mature team. We're not saying you're putting a bunch of geriatrics out there and yet you're still winning somehow. Like, Props to having an older roster. It's fine. It's cool. It doesn't. It's not like well, it's only they only win because they're they're they go off on on Mormon missions and come back and they're older and bigger and stuff. That's not the whole. Plus, you're new to the conference. We're that we're gonna find more interesting insults than that. It's called soaking. Like we've heard about it. It's gross. It's weird. It's whatever. Like we're not gonna make fun of the fact that you're like half of your starting offensive line already has two kids who are walking. Okay, like that. We're we're. It's not what we're gonna do. So we'll make fun of the fact that you don't have beer. You have ice cream. You have, although I really do want some of this BYU ice cream. Like the BYU creamery is, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta try some. Okay. Yeah. Now that you so, mentioned that, that kind of sounds awesome. 
<laughs> I'm like, can every school have a school alcohol beverage and a school custom ice cream sundae? Because I would totally have one in the first half and one in the second. I'm kidding. I would have the beer and the ice cream at the same time. I'm a sicko. That's fine. All right. Kansas BYU. Uh, Kansas has now started 4-0 in back-to-back seasons for the first time since 1913 to 1915. Y'all. This is fun. And like Kansas was fun. Kansas at one point in the game went up 21 to 17 in the third quarter. The defense was outscoring the offense like 14 to seven. And then the Kansas offense finally woke up and ran off with this and they just, just overwhelmed the BYU. But like Kansas' defense looked spicy. Kansas looked fun. Like BYU just looked like, hey, like BYU played, I thought, fairly well. And it was just, it was a tough first game in the Big 12 for BYU. Kansas and BYU look like two fun teams. That was a very entertaining game on Saturday that I, I, I played as much attention to as I could with all the different games going on at the same time. Yeah, I think, you know, going into the weekend, the uh, the premier matchup of the Big 12 was probably Kansas State-UCF. Um, but but Kansas and BYU was a, was a very close second. I, in, I mentioned earlier how, you know, Cincinnati, you know, they found out that, you know, the mistakes of, of throwing an interception in the team's end zone and missing a field goal, that's going to cost you a very similar story with BYU. You know, you allow two defensive touchdowns. Um, you, you throw another pick on top of that, um, and, and the fact that they were still able to, you know, keep that game as close as they did, uh, I think says a lot. So I, I think there's there's room for optimism with, with that loss to Kansas. Uh, but again, you, you know, at this at this power five level and pretty much any level of college football, you're you're not going to win many games if you give up two touchdowns to an opposing team's defense. I was at the BYU-Arkansas game last weekend and then watched as much of this game as I could. And I don't, I'm not sure BYU played significantly worse, really all that much different than they did. Like, I don't think they played that much different against Kansas than they did against Arkansas. Like, I don't think they were that much worse. I just think Kansas is better. Like, I think Kansas, I understand Arkansas lost by three to LSU. LSU is weird as all get out this year. And like I, I think BYU played a good game and, and Kansas didn't make mistakes in the second half that Arkansas did against BYU. And so I just like, I think this is still a good BYU team. I think they're just, they're kind of like I thought coming in, like this is going to be a solid team that's going to win. I think they are better than I thought preseason, but it did still feel like a team that's going to win some games because of giving you maturity. Like that's a positive. Also complaining about people saying you're mature is like an army coming in and saying like, Hey, you know, army's really disciplined. Like how dare you say we're disciplined? I can't believe you would say such a thing about the army. Like it just, it's fine. Yeah. I, I guess the alternative, the alternative is saying, wow, these cougars are very immature. And like that doesn't, that doesn't sound fun either. So, so yeah, I think take it as a compliment. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I think so. Also Kansas, is, God, Kansas is just so much fun. And we said this on the pig show last week, like Kansas has the advantage against teams who have not faced this offense before and who have not faced Jalen Daniels. Like, I think Kansas is going to have some more difficulty when they face the teams who have played Jalen Daniels, have seen him, have gone up against him, have played this offense, have gone up against it. Like, I think there will be far more struggles offensively, but like, it's still a ton of fun. God, I just like, Kansas is so fun. It's such a weird time to be like, Kansas is a fun and exciting team. Uh, Texas is good at football again, and Baylor and Oklahoma State are terrible. Like what a what a weird wacky world, and I I'm just gonna be honest, like it's kind of fun. It's it's fun to see something different. Like sorry, OSU, like I work. Sorry, part <laughs> Marshall. I know it's not uh <laughs> it's not great for the site, <laughs> um, or you know my own 
health and well-being. So let's talk yeah. about Oklahoma State and Iowa State, the uh, sicko game of the week that was not. Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy have finally picked a quarterback. Uh, they they chose Alan Bowman, uh, the guy that everyone thought was going to be the starter before the season. It took three games of not sure what was going on to settle on the thing everyone knew and felt was inevitable. So glad we did that. Uh, the first quarter of that game, he was not on the same page with the receivers at all. It's almost like he hadn't had enough game reps to form a good rapport with them. A guy who you know hadn't actually started a college football game in a very, very long time while he was at Michigan. I mean, Marshall, at this point, I know SU fans are feeling pretty down. They've lost the last two. I mean, I, is it fair to say that the whole experiment of the three-quarterback thing was not only a bad idea, but has completely and totally backfired on them in every way possible? Yeah, I think I think there are two major ways. The one, the obvious one, is reps. Um, you, you know, you're splitting reps between guys. You mentioned everything just kind of looked off at the beginning of the game, and then then Alan Bowman kind of settles in as it goes. It, it felt like, you know, a, a guy playing his you know first full game since 2020 or whenever that last year at Tech was. Um, and, and then also among the fan base, it kind of provides it made people kind of pick sides. You've got Garrett Rangel guys. You've got Gunnar Gundy guys. You've got Alan Bowman guys. And, you know, Alan Bowman goes in, and his first pick was pretty ugly. Um, there seemed to be some miscommunication with the receivers. There's two guys standing in one spot. They've got two guys covering them. Um, he throws there anyway. That was pretty ugly. Um, but then, you know, with how this quarterback scenario has played out, with nobody really getting enough reps to show, you know, that they could be the guy, you've got, you know, parts of the fan base on the Rangel side going, well, why don't they just throw Garrett Rangel in there? We've got, you know, people who like Gunnar Gunnar scrambling ability saying, well, we'll put Gunnar in there. So, I think that it not only hampered them in terms of, you know, building some cohesion with this group that, you know, the, the talk of the offseason was how many guys they lost to the transfer portal. Uh, but it, it also kind of divided the fan base in some ways in, in that everybody kind of picked their champion. Um, and if, you know, one guy's not playing particularly well because, you know, he hasn't had a lot of reps, then, you know, the, the, the fan base is going to be calling for, for the next guy. So it's a really weird spot to be in. Um, you kind of mentioned, you know, Alan Bowman's the guy that everybody thought, you know, whenever he committed to Oklahoma State, that he was going to be the guy. I likened it in my my ten thoughts after the game that you know it, it's like whenever you know OSU hits a big shot um, going into halftime that that ties ties a basketball game maybe against Kansas or something, and, and Larry Reese says twenty minutes played and we've gone nowhere. So that that kind of feels like you know three non conference games played and, and Oklahoma State has uh, essentially right back to where everybody thought they'd be at the beginning of the year. So it's 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 kind of just a nightmare. Um, I yeah I, I think. It's good to cut losses, Gundy said after the game. He's, you know, not committed or not at least publicly committed to saying Bowman's going to be the guy going forward, which um, I guess, you, you know, you know I, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, it's just a really weird spot to be in. And it, a lot of it, just because you, everybody thought that Alan Bowman was going to be the guy going into the year, a lot of it seems kind of unnecessary. I mean, yeah, I guess you keep losing. It makes sense that you'd switch to somebody else younger who in theory would be the guy moving forward to prepare for the future, especially if the Gundy bowl streak, um, which kind of feels like it's going to come to an end this year actually does. Um, I want to talk Iowa State in a minute, but but Marshall, since we have you as a guest, we got to talk about this. Um, we got to talk about Pokes with a Purpose. That is the OSU NIL Collective. They had to put out a formal statement on Twitter on Friday to deal with, quote, an incredible amount of disinformation spewing on social media and message boards about Oklahoma State's NIL. I'm going to read the last paragraph in this statement because it is interesting. The importance of NIL. NIL is here to stay whether we like it or not. 
we, interesting choice of words, ask any athlete and they'll tell you NIL is as important to them as facilities, campus, or culture. I would argue that, that it means more than those three things to some players. Many players, successful programs, including their donors, fans, coaches, and athletes, must embrace NIL to remain competitive, retain athletes, and recruit new athletes. OSU is no different. It's the world we live in now. Adapt or die. NIL collectives and school athletic departments are supposed to kind of be, have, you know, a certain amount of distance between them. The reality, most of them are working fairly closely together. This doesn't feel like the best kind of thing that your NIL collective should have to be posting on social media, especially in light of comments that have been made by Gundy. I mean, for a while and including over the last few weeks about the importance of NIL and how he feels about it. I just like... With the way the season's going and things like this, like just like I, I, I'm kind of struggling as an Oklahoma State fan to find a lot of optimism in the state of the program right now. Yeah, and you know it's kind of like you know the chicken or the egg. Is the NIL going to have an uptick because the football team is doing well, um, or are people going to be upset that the football team's not doing well? So they're going to say, "Well, I'm not going to donate to NIL because they're not using it properly." So I. I don't know. Everybody that I've ran into with folks with a purpose has been great. Um, they've been very helpful. So it's just a, a weird spot to be in, in that you, you know, you get this release, you know, days after Mike Gundy mentions how, you know, South Alabama players don't, they don't have a lot of NIL down there. They're just there to play football. So it, it feels <laughs> like, it feels like mixed messaging coming out of, you, you know, you mentioned that they're supposed to be separate, but um, you know, I think in reality, things would be a lot better. Um if everybody can kind of get on the same page as far as that goes. And it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of on top of, you know, the weirdness that has been this football season with the three quarterbacks and all that, um, you know, uh, your, your main collective releasing a statement uh, is certainly, certainly just kind of adds to the, the bizarre, you know, couple of months that it's been so far. By the way, uh, South Alabama does have an NIL collective. They're not just down there playing football for the love of the game. Mike Gundy, just so you're aware. Um, as for Iowa State, Iowa State did get this win. Iowa State decided to come out and be an air raid offense, something we hadn't seen through three weeks. Maybe one year, sometime, down the line, far in the future, Matt Campbell will care enough about the non-conference to actually play it to win. Um, seriously, where has that been? Where has that passing attack been? Where has that Rocco Becht offensive passing attack been? Like, It, it wasn't just that he was good on Saturday like you they were scheming pass catchers open and maybe that's more credit to Oklahoma State's defense and less credit to Iowa State I'm not sure but it sure seemed like a combination of Rocco Beck looking great and an offensive game plan that was very very successful yeah um you know they really went after Cameron Epps who's making his first start um in place of an absent lyric rolls um and that you know, that's the kind of scheming that, you know, obviously makes a lot of sense. You notice the starter's not going to be there, then then let's throw at that guy. Um, but, yeah, it was crazy. Jalen Well had a career high before halftime um, in, in receiving yards. And with how um, suspect Iowa State's offense has been, you know, going into that game, that was certainly not a stat that I had marked on my board. And, and Rocco Beck looked uh, – I was talking with McLean Baxley, uh, Oklahoma State's 247 guy, and we were kind of just like, in awe of Beck managing the pocket and running around and finding an open guy in uh, uh, McLean likened him to, to Matt Saracen, a Friday night lights fan that, you know, you, you can win with a Matt Saracen, maybe more than you can with the JD McCoy. So uh, it was, 
yeah, it, that's not the game that I expected that I was going to show up to. I, I expected maybe them to send two delegates out to, to midfield and then just kind of hand the ball back and forth to each other um, until overtime and maybe do some weird, you know, penalty kick scenario. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's the game we got. And Iowa State looks looks like a, an actual football team on Saturday. I'll be very interested to see what they do this week. Uh, by the way, shout out to Brent Bloom for this one. This is only the third time in the last 20 years Iowa State has started 1-0 in Big 12 play. The others were 2020, the COVID season, and 2015. That is um, that is wild. Uh, a couple of scores to hit to real quick. The final non-conference games for the Big 12, TCU 34, SMU 17. Solid outing from TCU, whose defense has looked a lot better since their week one performance against Colorado, as Marshall noted, looking a lot better than they did week one. Offense continues to play well. Uh, Houston 38, Sam Houston 7. Houston gets to keep their name. Congratulations on being the best Houston in the state of Texas to play in football. Uh, I've paid attention to Dana Holgerson coached teams long enough not to buy into a sign of positivity too much, but I will give Houston the win and the credit of enjoying a 38-point offensive output. Um, it's nice to feel like your team can put up points and win and play some defense. I thought that was really good. Um, let's see what Houston does next week when they're not playing a team that just moved up from FCS to FBS. All right, uh, last Big 12 team we got a hit. Um, and this one, Kansas State over UCF. Now this looked like it'd be the best game of the weekend. Um, I think it. I think it certainly almost lived up to that. I think it was very good. Kansas State punted once the entire game. I'm gonna repeat that for you. Kansas State punted one time in this entire game. Now listen, there was a turnover and downs. There was a missed field goal and there was an interception in the first half that were wins for UCS defense. But Kansas State scored on all four second half drives, and. The other ones were like, you made a big play to get the offense off the field. Otherwise, they punted once. So there was one traditional, like, we stopped the offense. Otherwise, it took to miss field goal, a turnover on downs, or an interception. It's a little bit of a disappointing performance from the UCF defense in in my book. Uh, what's wild about this game is UCF took a 24-21 lead out of the half, and then Kansas State ran away with it, building up a score of 44-24. to UCF scored a touchdown with three seconds left to make the final score look better. Like, it was a competitive first half and a drive for UCF, and then Kansas State blew the doors off UCF. Like, I, I saw you some UCF account, and I don't remember who it was. Like, if this and 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 this had gone different, UCF would have won this game. And I was like, yeah. That's a fairly good long bullet list of scenarios in which case UCF might not have actually only lost by a two score, even though it was closer to a three score game. Um, I think Kansas State coming off the loss to Missouri, it's kind of like it reminds me of last year. Weird game. You lose a game you weren't expected to come out and then look really good moving forward. I kind of feel like Will Howard looked very good. The passing attack looked good. Like I, I feel like this is a Kansas State team that is still very similar to last year. Like they're probably going to have a loss. They've got a loss. They're probably going to lose another game somewhere. Maybe it's Texas. Um, maybe they lose another one. But this is why I still think Kansas State is the Big 12's best shot of knocking out Oklahoma from the from Arlington. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, DJ Giddens is is better than I expected him to be. Oh um, man, goodness! Especially with no Treshawn Ward. Like yeah. to put up that performance, goodness. Yeah, get, gets the ball thirty, gets thirty carries, uh, two hundred seven yards, four touchdowns, and then is also Kansas State's leading receiver with with eight receptions and eighty six yards. So, um, you know, last season, uh, Jarrigans ran for five hundred and eighteen yards. He's already up to four twenty three. You know, four games into into this year. So, yeah, it, it kind of feels like one of those K State teams that is just kind of consistently gonna, you know, like a snowball, just kind of build and build throughout the year. Obviously, that that loss to Missouri is you know painful. And it's going to stink, but yeah, with a hobbled Will Howard um, to to be able to do what they did to UCF uh, is very impressive. Obviously, UCF doesn't have John Rice Plumley, 
but I don't think John Rice Public is going to play safety um, anytime soon. So, you know, you, sh- you can't, the, not many games that you give up 44 <laughs> points are you going to, you know, are things going to change? So uh, I think it was, you know, a, a somewhat respectable showing considering no John Rice Public uh, that UCF goes to Manhattan in its first Big 12 game um, and, and puts up 31 points and at least somewhat looks respectable. But as you mentioned, you know, one of those touchdowns comes very late. Uh, but yeah, defensively, it, it seems like the Knights have some things to work out. I will say this, the Kansas State secondary made me a little bit curious after their performance against Missouri. Um, I'm not going to say that it. I feel better after the Saturday's performance against UCF. Like Tim McLean is fine. He still went 14 for 24 for 264 and three touchdowns. Yes, he had an interception, but I, I'm, I'm still a little bit nervous about Kansas State's secondary against a really good passing attack and a really good quarterback like Timmy McLean is not that can't Missouri's passing attack looked pretty good and it's subpar mediocre like once Kansas State has to go and face like let's go through the schedule here real quick because I don't have it in front of me I don't remember what it is hold on um I mean you go to OSU you get a week off you go to OSU you go to Texas Tech then you get TCU like I'm curious what TCU looks like I'm curious what Texas looks like Jalen Daniel, the, the the Sunflower Showdown is in Lawrence this year. Like Kansas State fans are like, we've won it a hundred years in a row. I know. Um, I'm. I will be very curious what happens when they face and what is expected to be a good passing attack in the Big Twelve. How that secondary will hold up, and if we don't just end up with an old fashioned Big Twelve shootout involving Kansas State. I'm a little worried. Sorry that I'm totally throwing this off target now. I'm a little worried. I said Jay Argens, which would be blasphemy um if i did because that's a kansas basketball player i'm an oklahoma guy k-state fans if i did i'm sorry i met dj giddens i'm sorry uh jr giddens went to school john marshall in oklahoma city i'm sorry if that's what i said i honestly don't remember <laughs> it's been a very long weekend for you yeah, you had to drive all the way back from ames iowa to hop on a podcast with me tonight so if everyone be nice to marshall he's doing his best okay uh we were supposed to have two guests tonight we have one. So Marshall's having to do uh, do a lot of heavy lifting with me. Uh, okay. So let's wrap up this show the way we do every single Monday. Let's look to the weekend ahead uh, and kind of pick the game that we have circled as, uh, as potentially the best one of the weekend. Uh, there are six games this week and one on Friday. Kansas State and Oklahoma State are off. So you get Cincinnati at BYU on Friday night with a 9.15 p.m. kickoff. Hello, Big 12 After Dark on Saturday. This is, this is, well, no, that's actually works out pretty good. Kansas at Texas for 2.30 on ABC. Houston at Texas Tech and Baylor at UCF also at that time. Those will be uh, football games that will also be played. Uh, Iowa State at Oklahoma at 6 o'clock on FS1. West Virginia at TCU at 7 o'clock on ESPN2. I mean, I, there's there's a game. So, Marshall, I'll let you go first. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the game you're most looking forward to in the Big 12 this weekend? Okay, well, it's obviously Kansas State or Kansas and Texas. But I'm a bit of a sicko. I there, I forgot what the game was on week one, but I watched Tulsa play Arkansas Line Blow. So I'm kind of looking forward to Cincinnati BYU, if I'm honest. You know, which team's going to, you know, stake their claim as, as the first, you know, newcomer to, to get a Big 12 win. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, I thought Cincinnati – uh, like I mentioned earlier, made some mistakes to to you know not be closer to OU than than maybe they should have been, and, and obviously BYU gives up two touchdowns, two defensive touchdowns to uh to Kansas last week. So I'm I'm sort of looking forward to that, but yeah, obviously it, it's Kansas and Texas. Um, you know if if Texas can somehow lose to Kansas in football again, uh, I think you know all will be right with the world for just for just a little bit. I mean, 
Taylor Swift's apparently dating Travis Kelsey. I'm not sure. I believe it's not just a PR stunt, but whatever. But so like crazier things have happened than Kansas beating Texas in football. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's that's the game. I'm not sh- like the fear is that it's not actually a competitive game because Texas defense is so good. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati BYU should be interesting. One of those teams is going to get their first win. I mean, I would I'm, I'm going to pick UCF to beat Baylor in Orlando. So UCF gets their first Big 12 win. Yep. I am intrigued to some extent by Iowa State Oklahoma. Okay. This is a series of games that have been fairly competitive with Matt Campbell in Ames. I know it's in Norman. Iowa State can't run the ball. They cannot run the ball. So they're going to be in one dimensional. And I think Oklahoma's secondary is better than Oklahoma State's. But I am curious what Oklahoma's offense looked like against the best defense they will have faced so far this year in Iowa State. Again, it's in Norman. It's not in Ames. I wish this game was in Ames just because it would be even more interesting. But I will be very curious to see what this Oklahoma offense does. We saw it against SMU. It took a while to pull away. We saw it against Cincinnati. It did fine. What happens at home against the best defense I think they will have faced thus far into the season? Can Iowa State's offense do enough to allow the defense to keep this game interesting? Or will Iowa State's offense look more like it did the first three weeks of the season, specifically against Iowa and Ohio, and be so ineffective that it doesn't matter what the defense does, they're still Oklahoma's still going to pull away for a double-digit win? I'm, I'm very curious what this game looks like, because I think it will tell us more about Oklahoma than it will about Iowa State. Yeah, and another kind of sneaky, interesting game is Donovan Smith, you know, going back to Lubbock, um, playing against Texas Tech, playing in, and it's just not a normal Texas Tech. It's a, you know, backup quarterback. It's Baron Morton, Texas Tech. So uh, we, we both, you know, don't think Houston is great. Um, I think Texas Tech should probably win this game regardless of, of who's starting a quarterback. But uh, there, there's a built-in storyline there that I'm at least intrigued to, to see how it plays out. Yeah, I don't. Thank you for reminding me of a game that I had circled as like this one's going to be awesome when we get to this point in the schedule. And yet, two and two Houston has a better record than one and three Texas Tech. Also, like this is a game Texas Tech should win, is what I've said for two of the losses Texas Tech now has on their schedule. Uh, So, who knows what Texas Tech should and shouldn't do this season? Marshall, I really appreciate your time, man. I know you've had a very busy weekend and you're going to continue to have uh, maybe a little bit of an off week since OSU is off this weekend. You know, the team takes a bit of a break. Maybe yeah. you can as well. Well, my cousin decided that he was going to get married during football season. And I was like, sweet. I kind of I have a built-in excuse. I've got to work. Um, and expertly, he picked the bye week. So I'm actually driving down, down to Broken Bow this weekend. But me, me and the wife are, are, are figuring out a way to kind of make it a mini vacation. And, and if my cousin somehow listens to this, I'm very excited for you. I'm very happy to be at this wedding. It's just I would enjoy some time. Marshall, uh, I would hope that you tell your cousin to listen to this podcast. Uh, we appreciate everybody who listens to the 10 to a podcast. Make sure that you are, especially if you're an Oklahoma State fan, and are still listening to podcasts that talk about Oklahoma State and aren't so just depressed that you still want to be able to do that. Make sure if you, are, of course, uh, are visiting Pistols Firing Blog, uh, one of the best independent sites covering any Big 12 team, anyone, any college athletic team, period. You, you do a great job, Marshall. Uh, so go check out Pistols Firing Blog. Whether you're an OSU fan or not, it is worth the read. Of course, uh, 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12 of the word network, is where you can find every single podcast in the network. You know what? We've got an Oklahoma State show. If you're an OSU fan, you know about Feels Like 45. You know Cade and Dustin. They do an incredible job. And you'll find every show there. Follow us on Twitter at 1012network. Follow us. It's also the one on Blue Sky. If you want to find us on Instagram or threads, it's 1012pod. 1012podcast on YouTube. Yes, we will have our special teams review show for this week. I've got a fun guest. I've got a very interesting conversation I think we're going to have regarding Iowa State punting and Oklahoma State special teams. 
we're gonna have something good about Oklahoma State to talk about. Their special teams are still really, really good, so that's yeah. positive. Uh, so uh, we will uh, make sure you check all of that out. We will be back on Thursday with picks. We will talk to you all again then. Podcast Network.